Hey, I want to invite you to take a walk with me from the Great Pyramid down to the Sphinx. It's quite downhill. I'll ruminate about geology and a few things, and you'll see some passers-by. Thanks for joining. <laughs> the Sphinx is not visible from many of the, of the rooftops because it's down low uh, in the plateau, mm. much lower than Khufu and Khafre. Most of these rooftops in the, you know, four to five hundred beds that are in all of these these uh, bed and breakfasts and hostels and hotels and everything in Giza, um, you know, they'll, they'll, you'll have a, a rooftop you can go up to where you'll see Khufu and Khafre, usually Menkara, but uh, you've got a special place if you can see the Sphinx because the Sphinx is down low and, as I said, many of the rooftops do not see the Sphinx. And, of course, because it's low and there's evidence, I think, that there was tremendous water here, so the the volume of rushing water down here could have easily caused some of these weathering marks that Dr. Shock says were, you know, had to be. What is he at now? You know, if you just study the, the way he's extended it over time, and he's always got a reason. Well, it was 5,000, now it's 7,000, now it's 11,000. You know, that, uh, I would say, to, to a certain extent, you know, geology is uh, uh, sorcery. I mean, just, sorry, I could probably get 100 geologists out here who would say completely different things than Dr. Shock says, but... You know, he was, uh, he's the John Anthony Westboy. And I think jo Dr. Shock is a, a nice man, you know, from what I know of him. And I've heard him talk, and, but I just don't believe his science. I don't think that's the last word on, on these, uh, you know, this weathering. Again, I just think the tremendous amount of water that was on this plateau at one time coming down here could have caused all kinds of erosion. So, uh, you know, for what it's worth, hello. You know, the, the erosive power of water is incredible. I mean, floods, you know, the erosive power of water is incredible. And just, you know, the amount of electricity that can be generated by that much drop, we're so much lower than Khufu and Khafre down here. And again, there's evidence that there, you know, uh, there was much more rainfall in the past. It's hard to say exactly when. I do think to a certain extent that, uh, you know, we're, we're guessing at straws, and we, the, you know, the, the younger dryas were are people using that as like the grail. So now we've got this benchmark. That's as much speculation as anything. But there's a coming together of the alternative groups, you know, around, around, uh, around the holy grail of the younger dryas. So I'm, I'm not hoodwinked. I'm not going to join that club. You know, that science is not exact. It's not the same as two plus two is four. It's not the same as the sacred geometry. Robert Grant and Alan Green used to show that the measurements we use today are singular and unitary and connected in origin. The meter, the cubit, and the, uh, and the, and the, and the foot. And so that's, that's numbers, that's exact, that's science. Geology, no. So again, a tremendous amount of water at one time here. You know, heavy rains, the way this is graded here, there's all kinds of explanations for all kinds of weathering that obviously took place here. So this marking on the pavement here on the east side of the Great Pyramid 
there are a wealth of these kind of markings all around the plateau. John Romer, the Egyptologist, says that there is a life-size blueprint of the Great Pyramid on this east side, a life-size blueprint. And I, I meant to check him out on that with some of his points. I haven't done that yet. So some of the marks that are on the east side here are meant to be a blueprint to keep the Great Pyramid to go up without becoming a corkscrew, to keep it straight. So I've interpreted some of these and actually presented at Egyptological conferences my findings. So I was studying this one the other day. This looks like really a circle here with a, a quadrant cut out from it. So what I did was I measured the angles here and then I, I put into Google Earth uh, where it is, its distance from the Great Pyramid and its distance from what's called the Widden cavity over there. So I know where this is so I can take it back to the house to uh, you know then find where it's pointing because it's my contention that that will point to somewhere meaningful right there and probably this line will too and I've done this enough times that, that sounds silly or crazy to you I've done this enough times to know it probably will so uh, the other morning I was getting ready to do all that setting it up on the computer after taking these measurements getting ready to and I then I had to leave I was going with Roberto and Claire to the Red Sea and so I had to make provisions, get, to get my stuff. And so then when we got to the Red Sea, taking a day away from our studies, just to relax a little bit, and Roberto came to me and he, he told me he wanted some help uh, in understanding a drawing he had been drawing his whole life since he was a boy. And the way he described it to me, it was like a quadrant that was part of a circle. So it was the very thing I had been studying that morning that he, without, without him knowing I was studying this. And so I still have it. Roberto is filming me right now. And so, Roberto, we're going to put this thing and, and I'll, you know, I'll let people know once we find out what it points to. But I'm saying I, I think this is probably going to point to somewhere meaningful inside the Great Pyramid. And this is going to point uh, who knows where. We'll line it up and see if it points to a pyramid or you know, where it goes. So the mysteries of Egypt.